You know what, Bill de Blasio, unless you unless we hear from you, come on the show, you coward, and and let us know. Are we right? Do you are right. you a serial groundhog killer? How many how many groundhogs are there? How know, many are there under the your one. bed? <laughs> well that probably would <laughs> Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Halper. And I'm Matt Taibbi. Also a host. Right, the other one. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot uh, that we're going to be doing this week. We have a great show. We have Dr. Cornell West, who's amazing. Yeah. Right? Great guy. And great guest. Well. Great person. Return. He was one of our better interviews, I think, in the last year or so. And uh, so it's going to be going to be a really interesting conversation. He's been in the middle of a lot of a lot of interesting stuff lately, so we're going to ask him all. And uh, we got to get a lot, of, a lot of news to get to. Should we just get to it? Yeah, let's just get to it. Yeah. All right. So four, four food groups, Democrats suck, Republicans suck. Isn't that weird? Isn't that terrible? So Democrats suck. I was really torn between a couple of things. On the one hand, the news that the Biden administration is trying is hoping to allocate $80 billion more billion to the IRS uh, in order to uh, significantly jack up the number of audits. Deeply annoying for a number of reasons that the IRS's budget is, well, I think, only about $12 billion a year. So they, what they're really trying to do is compensate for the fact that they don't collect tax at all on companies like Bank of America or Facebook or, or Google, not to any significant degree. They're going to make up for that by adding staff to do audits on people, basically, which is annoying. But we have to see how that plays out. I don't know. That, that, that felt... They haven't done it yet, so we have. I think we have to wait till that moment. On the other hand, this other thing I think is kind of more down up our alley. They're replicating the Bernie Bro with the Yang Gang. It's become a significant feature of coverage of Yang. And for those who aren't familiar, we we we've, we've talked about this many times in the show. But the they with the Sanders campaign at various junctures, a lot of sort of Democratic strategists and pe people who are in involved in messaging for the various campaigns, they played up this idea that the Sanders followers were threatening, violent, aggressive, racist, whatever. Misogynist, uh, yeah. Misogynist. And this became an issue that, that Bernie had to respond to in the campaign constantly, right? And meanwhile, you know, in a corresponding lack of of attention, you know, there, there were almost exactly similar. I, I would even say worse situations with yeah. other candidates because right. they were they were paid trolls. Right. Uh, we were all all the Bernie people. I know. Trust me, we were doing it out of the love of our goodness right. of yeah, our, yeah. our hearts. Yeah. All the that, kindness of our hearts. Yeah. All that racist and xenophobic yeah, abuse that exactly. you were piling on people. Yeah. You did that for free. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But there were there were paid trolls for other candidates. Other we, we yeah. And, and the K-Hive, right which we'll, you know, right. We spoke about. So now they're now they're doing this again with Yang. And it's it's coming from a couple of places. It's coming from uh, some of his other uh, opponents, Democratic opponents. For mayor. But then it, yeah. And then it's all for mayor of New York City. Uh, but then it's also it, there are just lots and lots of stories that are being pitched to major news outlets about this. And I just want to look at a couple of them because they're they're just so annoying. The New York Times, Andrew Yang looking for endorsement offends gay Democratic club. Right. Uh, participants describe Mr. Yang's remarks as offensive, saying that even as members of the club wanted to discuss poli policy issues, he mentioned gay bars. And then if we can just go down and read a little bit of the piece. Andrew Yang, the former presidential candidate and leading contender for mayor of New York City, met with a prominent LGBT Democratic political organization on Wednesday to seek its endorsement. It did not go particularly well. Uh, in an interview with the Stonewall Democratic Club of New York City, 
Mr. Yang cited gay members of his staff as apparent evidence of his openness to the club's concerns and expressed enthusiasm about the prospect of visiting the Cubby Hole, a storied New York lesbian bar, participants said. Uh, he proactively talked about resurrecting the city's pride march, but failed to pay su sufficient heed to more substantive issues they were actually concerned about, including homelessness and affordable housing. According to limited public polling as well as private polling, Mr. Yang has surged to the front of the mayoral pack, fueled by his name recognition and celebrity status, as well as his cheery demeanor and optimistic discussion of the city's future. Uh, but in the past, he has struggled with issues of tone. His presidential campaign has been trailed by allegations of a bro culture. In one of his own books, he admits to having named his pectoral muscles Lex and Rex. Then there's another thing about how a, a woman now running for Manhattan Borough president, has claimed that Mr. Yang has discriminated her on the basis of gender, allegations that he has consistently denied. So I, hard to know what to make of that. It's kind of weird they don't name the woman. It's right. like she's anonymous or something. But I assume that, I don't know, do they link to who it actually yes, is? Yes, uh, I forget what her name is. It, uh, you, you can open the link and see It's weird, it. right? Isn't that kind mm -hmm. of weird? Well, I understand why they, why you do that. For, for a press organization, anytime you can avoid... Naming oh. somebody in any in any situation where somebody might be upset about something legally, okay. you just ah, don't use okay. the name. Okay, weird. But they do link to it, and I still can't they see who wrote it. it. Kimberly Watkins. All right. I was oh, yes, right, yeah. Kimberly first Watkins, yeah. freedom dividend recipient when he fired me. Okay. The club, I'm just going to read a little bit more. The club is arguably the leading LGBTQ club Oh, sorry, LGBT club in New York City. According to Christine Quinn, New York City's first openly gay city council speaker, its members, she said, are politically sophisticated. Yet Mr. Yang's appearance struck those members as pandering and tone deaf, according to interviews. A video and a copy of the comments unfolded during the virtual meeting. Well, I just got to say, Christine Quinn is one to talk because she slammed Cynthia Nixon as a, a, a redhead lesbian as if she had the, oh, right. as if she had the um, monopoly on that. She also used to be really cool, Christine Quinn. She was like with uh, ACT UP, you know, the kind of radical gay rights uh, AIDS awareness group mm. uh, Larry Kramer was part of. And now and then she totally sold out. And it's totally boring and defended um, Bloomberg during a, a, sp a yeah. press conference, actually. A press conference. Yeah. She refused to speak because someone called Bloomberg Pharaoh. Oh my God! So that's a it's a little bit hypocritical, then, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, she should applaud that because it's. I just realized it's anti-anti-Semitic because you're calling a Jewish guy Pharaoh. They right. weren't Jews. So right. shout out to the people who said that. Yeah. Shout out to the Bloomberg critics. Th those are too many of those folks. Yeah. Bloomberg. Bloomberg needs to be insulated from criticism. He doesn't have a platform that he can use to defend. Right. Himself. Yeah. Then there's a Daily News story that just came out. Uh, New York City mayoral candidate Yang and his loyal gang under fire for attacking foes online. And then it says, of all the mayoral candidates, Andrew, Andrew Yang is the only one with a legitimate claim to having his own gang. And while that has advantages, it also it has also cast Yang in a harsh light at, sign, at times. I hate this way of uh, doing a, a news story because what you're essentially saying is it's a story that someone has yeah. said something about somebody, right? You're making it like he's guilty of something because somebody said something using that kind of passive voice it has cast yeah it sort of like removes the idea that you're actually 
part of this by calling attention to it anyway right uh, yeah it, it has cast yeah yeah you know it's like raised allegations right. or you know you know uh, highlights concerns like that that kinds of thing it's 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 a totally fictional way of just sort of creating a new story out of nothing yeah uh, and it all fits then all you do is it just fits into that narrative like mm -hmm. once you establish it every other every story and an isolated event is then plugged into this trend and larger narrative yeah which you created or, right. or which somebody like you yeah. created. Right? Not me. Not like me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although exactly. the Yang gang, we did get him on the show. In fact, Yang gang, where are you? We pressured you. Well, I did. I tweeted at the Yang gang and I said, if Andrew Yang didn't come on the show, they were a bunch of powerless something. Did you use a slur? I didn't use a slur, although I should have, because apparently that's what they respond to. But we put the pressure on. I think I threatened to do something with circumcision because he's a big anti-circumcision guy. Right. Yeah. Um, you Which, threatened to, to take the rest. He's what? You, th you threatened to take the rest, I said. Oh, take the rest, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One step. Yeah, that's just that's just One a preview. Step at a time. Yeah. But uh they did come through, but they haven't come through this time. Have you right. have you made any any pro I, I I pinged him a couple of weeks ago and he, he seemed into it, but he, but nothing is materialized. So well, we're trying we're trying again. We're trying. We're giving you two weeks, Andrew. Yeah, and Yang exactly. Gang. And then and then we're gonna commence with the all with the, the yeah, we're gonna go Yang Gang on homophobic, on xenophobic, Yang, yeah. everything racist. We're gonna, we're gonna rename his pecs. Right, yeah, not Lex not and Rex. Rex that, Lex and Rex. Yeah. It'll be more Dro like Luther. Droopy and yeah. <laughs> droopy and Harry and Droopy. Harry and Droopy, yeah. That's really good. Saggy and furry. Yeah. Fur no, but furry's kinda cute. Although no, furry not pecs. on the guys. No, pecs. not on yeah. yeah, on a gorilla's ex maybe. Yeah, it is like again. Let's have a waiting. Would love to have a story, and this is why our interview with Matt Orfola is so important. But would love to have a story where anyone talks about the Kamala people threatening people, saying we're going to go through some things. They said about you. They said about me. They said about Marianne Williamson. And I just want people to know they did not. Well, whatever. This is a we'll talk about later when we talk about why we separated from Rolling Stone, which we we've neglected that story, and people are still people still need to know the truth. They're hungering for it. You They're think? hungering for it. Yeah, we'll get okay. to that later on. We'll get to that in the in the paid subsec only part. But um, Wilson, I put a. Can we just play this short video because we're talking about gaffes again? Like the fact that Kamala Harris's moments when she's making fun of parents, uh, making fun of like social justice talking about locking up parents and laughing at it. No, no criticism, right? And likewise, no criticism of Biden over this. Like, I can't believe this wasn't a story. Speaking about LGBTQ uh, pandering and gaffes. This is from October 2019 at an LGBTQ town hall. We talked about this in, in, in San Francisco. It was all about, well, you know, gay, gay, gay bathhouses. And everybody, it's all about round the clock sex. It's all, come on, man. <laughs> An amazing moment. Yeah. I love how he, how he crowds Anderson with that. It's I know. so funny. Yeah. Anyway, that's, so that's, yeah. That's a, that, I miss things that's like that. That's a whole that. pile of cringe right there. Yeah. 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 Pile of cringe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Biden's difficult because he, he, he routinely goes way over the line in terms yeah. of stuff like that. Like, it is, there's no id really there at all anymore with him. He, he doesn't clamp down on any of that stuff. Right. But what they're trying to, what they're trying to do with Yang, and to a lesser extent with Bernie, it was the same thing. They're, they're basically saying, oh, because he nurtures a certain kind of 
atmosphere around his campaign. Right. He's responsible for every lunatic uh, who says anything. That's an impossible standard for any any candidate to meet. And it's also, if you're going to do this selectively, you can do it to anybody. Yeah, you can't do That's the you thing. Know? That's why it's so taken out of context. I mean, that's the thing. If you do make it selective, it's just totally dishonest. It's like people, like breaking news, people on internet are assholes. Yeah, they suck, right? Yeah. Like, the, the real story, honestly, that is there is that that's become the story and a narrative while only when it fits, uh, when, only when it's politically convenient. I mean, that's the only story that should be written about it. Yeah, As yeah. you know, I, sometimes I talk about that with Neera Tandon. It's been too long. <laughs> right. yeah. We haven't had a Neera Tandon a, a, I know. A comment, comment, commentary on this show for a while. Yeah. yeah and the, the, the last thing about this that I think is worth pointing out is that historically, the, the New York mayor has always had kind of a sense of humor. Like that that's a job that is where there's always been this kind of off-color relationship between the mayor and reporters and the, and the press and, uh, you know, people like Ed Koch, they were, they were pretty funny, you know, like the, it, it's, it's part of the character of that job. And to have a situation where you, a politician is now going to have to think about not only everything that he says, but everything that his followers, yeah. or, you know, his or her followers are going to say. And alleged followers too. That's and alleged thing, followers, yeah. like it, it's, it just takes an angle out of politics that's going to be it's going to make it it's going to dehumanize it even more and uh and make make the whole process even more phony than it is i think yeah although i don't know was dinkins funny was he was it, not funny he no. wasn't he was yeah. sweet he was sweet nice he liked tennis those were like he the liked two tennis that, yeah yeah like he didn't have a whole lot going on other than that yeah uh, rudy wasn't that funny either i have not to say. not intentionally funny not intentionally funny and de blasio wasn't he isn't either um, he tries to be. He tries to be. He's a ham. He's a ham, but he's like a failed ham. He's that's a failed that's ham. what's so sad about it. He killed a, gr a groundhog. I can't. I'll never forgive him for that. Yeah. That is like why that didn't that should be a disqualifying? That offense. should be. I, he should have been able to run for president. But I will. Right. I'll never forget. I think I mentioned it on the last show. I I really do commend him for for <laughs> using a Che Guevara show uh, quote at the at a DN, at a a debate in Miami. Did he do that? Yeah, I think he had no idea. Yeah. In, in Miami, especially. That's yeah. really funny. Yeah. <laughs> way, way to do be politically astute there. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah. No, he should have had to carry that dead groundhog on uh, with him. Yeah, through, you're right. Throughout the, uh, throughout the presidential run. Yeah, he really should have. Or yeah. at least dedicated some a plaque to him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or tattooed it on his neck. Oh, or yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. An RIP. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or pour. You should have poured out a little malt liquor for his, yeah. his dead groundhog every, at every episode, uh, every uh, speech. Um, episode, right. no. He should have made a show. Right. Yeah, ground, I killed a groundhog. Like, well, yeah, just groundhog awareness, basically. Right. You know, he really should have paid, like, educational reparations. Like, he should have used his power to spotlight the plight of groundhogs. Right. Although he probably... That's a... I don't know if they suffer on a systemic level from mayoral dropping. Probably not. But God, that's so inexcusable. Well, we only know about the one. Yeah, it's true. They're right. usually covered up, probably. Right. He could have been going to every zoo in the tri-state area and just, just a trail of groundhogs. Yeah, just you know, the footprints just lead back to Gracie Mansion. The paw prints. Yeah. 
Right. You know what, Bill de Blasio, unless you unless we hear from you, come on the show, you coward, and and let us know. Are we right? Do you are right. you a serial groundhog killer? How many how many groundhogs are there? How know, many are there under the your one. bed? <laughs> well, that probably would <laughs> come on. We need a reporter to pick this up and ask him. Some right. have said there are groundhog corpses under your bed. Right. Concerns have been raised. Yeah. Oh, yeah. poor groundhogs. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get to that. We'll figure we'll, we'll figure, that, yeah. figure that out. Okay. Yeah. What do we have for Republicans suck? So for Republicans suck, we have a story about Mike Pence, who, by the yeah. way, is writing a book, which I'm very excited about. Um, but this is. <laughs> I bet it's gonna be a it's gonna be a real cracker. Yeah. This book. It will yeah. be. I bet it'll be really funny unintentionally, but. Um, there's a report. So reading at Huffington Post, it turns out that uh, Mike Pence's COVID rule busting Vail vacation cost public $757,000 in security costs alone. Pence hit the slopes at his own as his own task force urged strict precautions amid historic highs in coronavirus cases. And the CDC told people to stay home. We now this was I guess this was last year that he went to to Vail for skiing. But according to a report from uh, that very good organization, citizen watchdog organization, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Crew. Crew. Yeah. We now know he showed up with uh, at least 48 agents and they stayed at different hotels in the area, rented 77 cars. Uh, charges included more than $270,000 at the Marriott Vale Mountain and more than 80000 at the Ritz-Carlton, who reported. Is it like little mini whiskey bottles or, yeah, or, I don't know. or is he watching porn at night? What's going I on? I don't know. Christian porn. <laughs> That's yeah. a great genre, by the way. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. It would, yeah. So it's it's that. It's the fact that there was COVID, that they didn't take precautions. And of course, we know that hundreds of Secret Service officers were either infected with COVID or had to quarantine after potential exposure last year as Donald Trump continued to travel and hold campaign events during the pandemic. I still can't believe, by the way, that he got COVID and then he took a tour in his presidential car with Secret Service agents hmm. to hail supporters outside Walter Reed Hospital. I don't yeah, know why. Why? Yeah, 700. 757,000. Yeah, again, I mean, I would love I would love to know what what they spent it on. I, I should I should say that I'm in general not a fan of these stories because yeah. they they it's it's a it's a cliche everybody does this right so every politician gets an office and then what always what inevitably happens is that somebody looks up the the filings for how much yeah so and so spent on whatever it could be anything it could be like how much they spent on a dress for the inauguration yeah. it could be like and and. Uh, it's imp it's impossible. It's almost impossible for politicians to come out not looking bad after these. Uh, and and I think I remember Obama. <clears throat> the number was something like ninety six million dollars that he spent for vacations over eight years, which sounded like a big number, but I don't I don't think it really was when you took everything into consideration. However, the Trump era seems seems like they broke the mold in terms of spending on this. Like the the amount of money that they spent on vacations, Trump did. Just just flew by all the previous numbers. It's tough, right? Like to, politicians do have to take vacations, and it's always going to cost a lot because they have all this staff that's following them around that 
probably has something to do with them and something not, but I think in this case it really is like God, how many cards do they need, though? I'm looking at the report. A lot of like, I, th I think that in this case, it's also because of the COVID stuff that makes it like particularly problematic. What I, what I always want to know about that, though, is how much of that is protocol and how much of that is the, the politician asking for X, Y and Z. Right. So like if, if Barack Obama goes to Camp David. Does he automatically have to bring a hundred people? Oh, with I him? see what you're saying. Right. You see what I'm saying, like, yeah, I, that's what I don't. That's the unknown. Like how many? Oh, wait, can you, Matt? You're a hardened, seasoned. Why do those things both sound ageist? But reporter, if you could just cast your hardened, seasoned reporter eyes over it, <laughs> what the hell? I don't understand. It's like, it's so many cars, and then it is like you can't even get into them. There's so many into the numbers, but then lodging like why is it so expensive domestic and denver field thirty-three thousand. double tree vale double tree is that expensive i guess they had like this is it's like a clown car of a hotel i guess right it's like a lot i don't know well but that, that's the, the question though is always how much different is that from what's gone on in the past right, right? yeah yeah so, you know what maybe it's not too bad you know i wish you know what this is a bit republicans suck because he didn't spend more money <laughs> right he should have spent more yeah go big or go home <laughs> it's tough i i know i know like uh judicial watch made a huge stink about obama's vacations right. and it was it was one of those it was like a very viral issue for for right wingers through the yeah. entire eight-year reign and then but then trump trump spend an ungodly amount of money on his vacations too. a million dollars for it's, it's basically a million dollars for pence for this one trip right yeah I, I definitely don't think he needs how many agents did he have with him 77 maybe he was worried about falling while he's skiing. yeah yeah oh you know what it was he can't meet alone with his wife wait no what is it he can't meet with women unless his wife is present so he needs them to run interference for him. I so yes, so I don't know. Actually, that doesn't really make sense, right? Uh, let's see. He needs. I think he has one. One. Okay, basically, he had one female Secret Service person, and because of that, he needed a lot of men. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? No, that doesn't make sense actually. Yeah, why anyway. not just not have a, a female Secret Service right. person? Yeah. So that if you're listening, Penn. I think it's. I think the onus is now the the onus. The simple onus on us is to. Um, yeah. Is, to, is to do a deep dive, yeah. so to speak, into into how relatively bad or, or not this is. Yes. Yeah. Let uh, us know compared, what you think. Compared to previous vice presidents. Yeah. So useful idiots fans, make yourself even more useful and tell us what you think. You know, a gut that check. That seems is like fun. way too many agents for for for, to, for, yes. for Mike Pence to go see. That's that's my hot take. Too many agents. How much attention did Mike Pence really get from threats? I would imagine oh. there would have been I would have been there would have been like a line of people to go after Trump, but like but Yeah, Pence, well they didn't they do that at uh at January sixth? Oh they went after went after Pence, you mean? Yeah. They were mad at him. They wanted to they did Right. They, oh that was because of the whole yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't go for the whole stop the steal because thing. Because he was a because he was a coward. Yeah, he was a he's a hidden dem. Yeah. <laughs> they were trying to peel the the facade off. He was actually Nancy Pelosi underneath. Yeah, her. yeah, he was. Yeah, that's why they couldn't find her. Because she was hiding in her Pence suit. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, have we ever? Okay, I was going to say, have we ever seen them in the same place at the same time? Yes, during every State of the Union, but it could be trick photography. You can edit or that in double. really easily. Yes. Is Mike it, Pence Nancy, Nancy Pelosi? Nancy Pelosi. Well, I think Mike Pence. Okay, 
the act, the truth is, I mean, we're being ridiculous and over the top, but what really is the reality is Are that, we well, hold, hold on. Mike mm-hmm. Pence is Nancy Pelosi in a Mike Pence suit. But what people don't know, and this is the part it's going to be hard for people to believe, but it's true and documented by by many, including us on this show, is that the Nan- that who we thought was Nancy Pelosi was actually someone in a Nancy Pelosi suit and that someone was, Matt, I'll let you deliver the news. Fellow Castro. That, that would be a pretty funny trick, Castro, <laughs> to pull it. To, I mean, it's coinc- isn't it interesting that he died, apparently, allegedly. Right. The guy lived, why then? I mean, he was living for so long, for so long. It doesn't make sense that he died at all. Right. This was just his latest role. He, you know, it was all those years he spent in Juilliard training. Yeah. Training for the role of a lifetime, which was his fake death. And then I mean, re- look, reincarnation actually, as, Nancy as Nancy Pelosi. I'm actually really, I stand by what I'm saying. The guy survived how many attacks, attempts at his life? I just don't buy it. It's just too coincidental. You don't buy that he died? Yeah. I think he's, I think he's in a Pelosi suit. There's also the possibility. I never bought that Andy Kaufman really died. So maybe Andy Kaufman was. Yeah was Castro and Castro oh, yeah. was, was Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. And Mike right? Pence, obviously. And Mike Pence. Yeah. Was it's like a Matryoshka is. doll. It's yeah. Mike Pence is actually Nancy Pelosi is Fidel Castro is Andy, is Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And then who's in the middle? Putin. Uh, There's Lee usually Camp. A fifth doll. Lee Camp. Lee Camp. <laughs> That's a reference to, uh, uh, we were accused of being Russian agents and it was the order somehow was like, me, Matt, Aaron Mate, Putin, Lee Camp. Like right. Lee Camp was actually above Putin. He was, yeah, he was above Putin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. What's next? Isn't that weird? Yeah. This is a, I guess it's more of a, isn't that terrible? But we cross these lines all the time. Don't all the time, yeah. Yeah. This is the a human interest story that was all over the I didn't internet. even see it. You didn't see this? Mm-mm. Maybe I blocked it out. Here, here's the headline. Here's from People Magazine, Matt, if you can open it up. 29-year-old woman dies after a man jumps from building and lands on her one week before her birthday. 29-year-old San Diego woman was killed in a freak accident after a man who fell from a nine-story parking deck landed on top of her, authorities said. Taylor Mm -hmm. Kale was was, uh, walking with a friend on 10th Avenue and J Street on Sunday night when the man fell from from the structure and onto her as she walked onto the sidewalk below. The San Diego County Medical Medical Examiner's Office said in a press release, the man who has not been, been identified but is thought to have been in his 20s or 30s, has been seen, quote, hanging uh, from the outside railing of the deck before the accident. He died at a local hospital less than an hour later, and his death was, was ruled a suicide, officials said. Kale was pronounced dead at the scene, according to the medical examiner's office. And then what talks an about asshole. how she was in Yeah, exactly, right? So then, like, in order to sell the horribleness of the story, the the people writer, and this then they did this, like, all the, all the stories about this, um, they just went into how unlucky anyway we'll just read uh, mcfarling told cbs uh, cw affiliate kfmb that kale had spent the day on a second date with a man she'd met online and that they'd been to the zoo and had dinner together quote i just want people to know that she's an incredible person mcfarling said the tragedy does not define her kale was the proud owner of two rescue dogs rue and stella and was exceptionally close to her father with whom she'd spent the last year due to, due to covid according to the facebook post so like it's bad enough that man jumps off building, man who tra- trying to kill himself jumps off building and hits somebody else and kills that person. Uh, but additionally, it was a week before her birthday and she had two rescue dogs. 
and was going on a date with someone. And was going on a date that was like that was working out. That is like no, this is really sad. Actually, she always referred to me as her. They include in the article that the date went really well. To make Did it they worse. say that? Kind of, yeah. No, they, they, they says yeah. She had been on a second date with a man she'd met online. So the, what they're telling you is that it was going well enough that she, there was a second date. So. Well, at least he doesn't have to worry if he was waiting for her in a bar and he felt dissed. Now it's he not knows that she stood him it's up. Not it, her. It, it's because somebody, some a person committing suicide had landed on her. Yeah. <laughs> Likely story, right? <laughs> you, get the, you get the text afterwards. That's going to give you a lot Just of... Just tell me I, you don't like me. You don't have to give yeah, me a Yeah, you don't have to like... I can't believe this is... I guess it is weird. Isn't that weird? Whether the odds of a guy jumping off of a building landing on someone else. That is that is a murder... That is a suicide homicide. Yeah, no, I think there, there's I think there's a long literature of people killing themselves who kill other people in the process, like people who, or, or they do things like they they jump in front of a train. Yeah, and exactly. They basically ru ruin the life of the person right. who was driving the train. Oh yeah, that's you know, awful. Forever. Or on a bus, if you're on if people are on a bus, you get a lot of people see it. Right. Um, what's the proper way to go? What's, what's the what's the least hurtful way to, to do it? I don't know, but something that involves. I mean, honestly, you have to be. I think you have to. All your family has to be dead. That's right. the kind way to do it. Right. Be a hermit. Be a hermit. Which reminds me of my Which is your, your right. that, that way, that way it's compass. okay for someone to have sex with you after you're dead. Yeah, that too. Be a hermit. Donate your body to necrophilia. Necrophile. Okay. Necrophilia. So that means you should leave your body. You should leave your body in, in, in condition to be, yeah. to be interfered with. You have afterwards. to leave it. Well, yeah, you have to also leave a, a note. Send, it, send a text or email so people know before that they only have a couple hours. I don't know how long they have, honestly. Right. I I should know from cop shows how long the. I mean, I don't know what people stand. That's ridiculous. To each his own. Yeah, if anybody out there knows the answer yeah. to that question, how long? How long? You know, is, is it still? Is a body still viable? Yeah. After? But that also rules out other kinds of like you wouldn't want to blow yourself up with a grenade. Oh right, right? yeah. So because look, you gotta leave. Her, if <laughs> to all the suicidal hermits watching this out there. Please be responsible. What about donating your organs? Do do people commit suicide ever do that? They really should. Because that is like, not that it would make it okay for you to land on people and kill them, but the other end of the extreme of suicide, you know, on one end you got murder. How about you do a life-saving instead? Yeah, I mean, you could go and have them removed. Right before? before yeah. <laughs> I'm planning on committing suicide later today. Could you? Uh, this is gonna have to have a trigger warning. I feel like. No. Or you just no. What you should do is you jump into a, into a a bath of ice somehow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just just walk walk around with a with a with a you know an igloo cooler. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A bunch of ice. Maybe you have a friend with a pen knife. Put the ice. Oh, yeah, that's true. Put the put a ba bath. You got it. Here's what you got to do if you're gonna jump. First of all, you got to clear the way. So you got it. Right. How how can you distract people? Put your you glasses on. Make sure you fire. can see. Right. Yeah. Wait. Why do they have to make sure they? Oh, so they jump. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah you don't, don't jump make, you on don't anyone. And right. instead, what you want to do is right before you get a friend to help you move a bathtub into the onto the sidewalk filled with ice. So you want to jump into the bathtub yeah. full of ice? Yeah. So the okay, that's a good idea. Yeah. Too. There's probably some some drugs you can take as well that would help preserve the the organs oh never right? thought of that look that look that up if you yeah. want to do that but seriously Any it's the only way you can justify it
Anyway, whatever you're doing, don't jump off a building on top yeah. of somebody who's just no. had a second date and is a week away from her birthday. That is really that's that so make, terrible. That, makes, that, that makes have been you your a terrible. major asshole. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That makes you a major asshole. Yeah. You're a murderer. Whenever I hear about stuff like this, I want to kill the person, but it's too late. They're too already late. killed. Yeah. They're already dead. Yeah. So there's nothing that that you're depriving us of justice too. Yeah, no, no no vengeance. Right. Vengeance is nobody's. I will not repay. Yeah. Well, let's say it the Lord. All right. Well, that happened. That was, I guess, weird. So I'm hoping you have more of a weird. I mean, yeah, I will have a weird one because that really was a terrible one, right? Let's so yeah. let's flip it up. This so it, people it, think we have a moral. In all, in all seriousness, yeah. just a quick, just a quick, like me, media crit thing. Yeah. The what they do with those stories, and and they're horrible. And we're not not making fun of Light. that yeah. woman's death in any way. Yeah. But ignore from, what we just from, said. Yeah. From a media for standpoint, the, re the, the yeah. reason that they play up those like the, what they're what they're doing is they find the horrible story and then they they actually go actively hunting for the details that make right. them more depressing to people so that they can jack it up right. toward the headline. Um, just, you know, full disclosure. Yeah, they'll never be like the person was really annoying, had a right. habit of like uh, sticking the her friends with the checks like uh, after meals, you know, what else could they put in there? Right, you know, it did, did, didn't uh, didn't ever stand was, up for old people on the train. Vote, voted for Nader. Well, we like that, but right, no, but most readers don't. Would, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would be an interesting genre. Like, person tri who was tragically killed was actually not all that great. Yeah, or <laughs> kind of an being. asshole anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if it had to happen to someone, <laughs> which we didn't want it to, but it was a nitpicker who always talked during movies. So no, kind of sounds like me, actually. But Did you talk during movies. Yeah, kind of. I mean, no, yes and no. Depends. You mean in public movie theaters? Yeah. No, not really. My grandmother did though. Hmm. And I, I you remember the three dollar movie theater? Do you remember that? The three dollar movie mm -hmm. theater? It was two dollar in New York City. Anyway, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of interaction there. Yeah. I don't I try not to talk, but every now and then. Gotcha. So I'm gonna do a weird, which is a story uh, at NPR. So this is a weird, heartwarming story. Uh, Prancer, the haunted Victorian child dog from viral ad, has been adopted. Good news, Prancer has been adopted. The two-year-old 13-pound chihuahua mutt, not so charitably, descri charitably described as a chucky doll in a dog's body, was listed for adoption this month in an unusually honest ad that charmed hundreds of thousands of people on social media. Now, Prancer, the haunted Victorian child in the body of a small dog that hates men and children, has found a home with Ariel Davis, a 36-year-old resident of New Haven, Connecticut. She brought Prancer home last week, according to his newly created Instagram account. He's got an Instagram account? Yeah. Okay. I read the article. I connected to it. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I'll just send because them an email. Because she hates men and children. Well, I guess so. Right? Yeah. I like this story so far. Go ahead. Yeah. So while while rescue dog ads can be notorious for euphemisms about problematic behaviors, Prancer's viral listing did not sugarcoat his uh, shortcomings, of which there are many. He hates men. He hates children. He hates dogs. He hates cats. He is nervous and fearful and poorly socialized. I've tried to, for the last several months to post this dog for adoption and make him sound palatable. The problem is he's just not, the ad read. There's not a very big market for neurotic man-hating, animal-hating, children-hating dogs that look like gremlins. <laughs> that is so, you're really setting him up for failure, by the way. That is a <laughs> fucked up thing to do. Also, gremlins are like, cute. It's, it's a boy named Sue type of man. I guess so, yeah. It's a boy dog? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The ad goes, 
have to believe there's someone out there for Prancer because I'm tired and so is my family. Every day we live in the grips of the dem of the demonic Chihuahua hellscape he has created in our home. If you own a Chihuahua, you probably know what I'm talking about. He's literally the Chihuahua meme that describes them as being 50% hate and 50% terrible. If you're intrigued and horrified at how this animal sounds already, just wait, there's more. Prancer came to me obese, wearing a cashmere sweater with a bacon, egg, and cheese stuffed in his crate with him. I should have known in that moment this dog would be a problem. Why? He sounds happy. Why would you say that? He was owned by an elderly woman who treated him like a human and never socialized him. Sprinkle in a little genetic predisposition of being nervous and you've concocted an erotic mess, a.k.a. Prancer. His first week, he was too terrified to have a personality. What? This person sounds psychotic, by the way. As awful as it sounds, I kind of liked him better that way. He was quiet and just laid on the couch. Don't didn't bother anyone. I was excited to see him come out of a shell and become a real dog. I'm convinced at this point he is not a real dog, but more like a vessel for a traumatized Victorian child that now haunts our home. So now, now, okay, now we've got like a body transfer joke going on. Yeah. Right. Instead of instead of Nancy Pelosi inside pants, we've got a Victorian traumatized Victorian child inside a Chihuahua. Yes. But he does have good traits, ready? So what are his good traits? He is loyal beyond belief, although to tell you a secret, his complex is really just a facade for his fear. If someone tried to kill you, I can guarantee he would run away screeching. But as far as companionship, you will never be alone again. He likes to go for car rides. He is housebroken. He knows a few basic commands. He is quiet and non-destructive when left alone at home. And even though we call him baloney face, he is kind of cute to look at. He also smiles when he's excited. His ideal home would be with a single woman, a mother and daughter, or a lesbian couple. You can't live in an apartment or a condo unless you want him to ankle bite your neighbors. We already addressed the menu and children's situation. If you have people over, he would have to be put away like a vacuum. I know finding someone who wants a Chucky doll in dog's body is hard, but I have to try. I guess it's, look, it's a an uplifting story about salesmanship, right? So Yeah, I guess he, so, yeah. You try to lie about the thing. Just go the other direction. Just tell tell the br- the brutal, brutal honesty. Yeah, brutal honesty, and that might actually work. And apparently, he was adopted by a lesbian. The tweet from NPR was, good news. Prancer, the 13-pound gremlin chihuahua who hates men and children and was described as a vessel for a traumatized Victorian child, has been adopted by a 36-year-old single lesbian in Connecticut. That, I think, says it all. That's a That's an uplifting story. All right, so that was the four food groups this week. Good stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Should we talk about the Oscars? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I didn't watch it, did you? No. Apparently nobody else did either. Just over 8 million viewers. And it was 18 million last year. And it's been kind of steadily declining. So it's not just a pandemic thing. This is, Matt, Matt and I are, are doing one of those things where we feel like we're more qualified to talk about it than people who actually watched it. Because right. we're not biased. We can be objective. Right. We're being objective about what we didn't watch. Yeah. So, okay, so nobody watched the Oscars or, or few people watched the Oscars. Yeah. And then one of the suggestions that people had about why the audience went down is because nobody's seen the movies that were right. up for consideration. So I don't think I saw any of the movies that were up for consideration this year. Did you? Well, did I? Let's see. Did I? Should we just do capsule reviews of the movies that we didn't see really quickly? Sure, yeah. What's Minari about? Okay, let's guess. It's either... You can guess that no, one. Yeah, and then I'll guess the next one, yeah. It's not an illustrated, it's not a, pic, a Pixar movie about a delightful creature from another world, because that, that would be happy. Oh, right. It's depressing somehow. Actually, not so much. Uh, you know what Minari means? No. Korean. Uh, water celery. It's a Korean word? 
Yes. So it's about a it's a sad immigrant movie. A friend of mine and I we once theorized that there were only only like five movies. It's like good looking vampires, dragons and shit, weightlifters in underpants, sad immigrants. Uh, I can't remember what the fifth one is, but this is a sad immigrant movie, right? But somehow through the through the, the the mutual support and loving uh, kinship of their difficult but uh, at times but ultimately rewarding family relationships, they managed to get through and, and gain an appreciation of American culture. Yeah, I think so. I mean, but also, you know, the the mom worries about their son David's heart condition. Who, mm. you know, he's frequently told not to run due to that. Right. Okay. I think that the fifth the fifth thing did have something to do with devastating medical conditions wait i'm trying to remember so there's a devastating medical condition in this maybe devastating yeah all right what's mank okay mank is here's the thing to me here's what's interesting about mank to me Mm -hmm. um it's a netflix movie that much i know Mm -hmm. and i do know it's also with gary oldman it is citizen kane related oh so it's 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 a it's a mankowitz thing exactly now, but the old Mankiewicz, not 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 the not the middle end Mankiewicz or the young Mankiewicz. So Josh Mankiewicz is the is the news reporter. Uh, Frank Mankiewicz is his dad, who was George McGovern's campaign manager. And then this is the uh, the third Mankiewicz who wrote Citizen Kane. Oh, the, so all those Mankiewiczes the, are real and related? Yeah, are they related? So Frank Mankiewicz's dad, I forget what his name was. He's the guy who wrote Citizen Kane. Herman J. Mankiewicz. That's a real name. Yeah. Herman J. Isn't that some kind of monster? That's or the monster. Monster, Herman is that? Munster. Okay, but there's no J. Okay. I don't think so. Herman so J. Mankiewicz. Okay. So it's about Herman Mankiewicz? Exactly, yeah. Did he have... Does he have personal problems? Is that what this is? Yeah, I mean... O- overcomes personal problems to write yeah. devastating script? So it's like it's like, a, it's, it's, it's like the James Whale movie a little bit, but like not as, not as trippy. The fifth type of movie is Alcoholic Writer. Yes, yeah, right. Martin I Fink, was gonna right? say, yeah. I mean, he's an alcoholic. He also has um, gout. That was the best part about it, that mm-hmm. it tackled gout. A writer overcomes drinking problem and gout to pen Citizen Kane. Yeah, after which he upset. sadly jumps out of a window and kills people. Could make it interesting. I'm gonna. Movie. That's actually. This is what we should do. You're not gonna. You have to guess whether I'm telling the truth or not. Okay, let's uh, move on to Judas like, yeah. and the Black Messiah, okay. which I have not seen. Me neither, but I really want to see. I've heard it's really good, and it's about Uh-oh. Judas, who, as we all know, killed indirectly killed Christ. Okay, I'm guessing it's, it's not look, about the actual it's a look into Judas's life. It's the last hours of Christ's life. I'm gonna guess you're lying about this. I don't. I'll... I don't think it's set in the time of Christ. I'm gonna guess. Okay, not, not set in the time of Christ. Okay, is it about? Okay. I'll give you this much. Is it about Fred Hampton? Oh, or... it's, the, it's a Fred Hampton movie. Oh, yeah. I heard about this. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I cheated. That's okay. Okay. So Sound of Metal, I've, I have to admit, I've seen. That's a debilitating medical condition movie, right? Yeah. It's when you hear, is it tonight? It's about tinnitus, right? I think it's it's a, it's about a guy who plays the drums too loud and he doesn't have insurance to pay for. Oh, okay. It is uh, kind of that. Yeah. Fixing his ears or getting cochlear implants or something like that. So it's, it's like, it's sad, sad medical condition. Movie, yeah. Movie. Even worse yeah. than gout. The father. What could that be about? Mankowitz. It's about Mankowitz? A father, yeah. I'm going to guess that's not what it's about. Is it about an abusive dad? Wilson, you want to give us some hints? It used to be a play, and it's 
Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman basically just in a room. Oh, it's one of those used to be a play. Yeah, those can go those either suck. way. So what do they do in that room? Okay, good question. Play dominoes. Slowly go insane. Die of a debilitating disease. Who's closer? Matt's closer. What is it? What's the answer? Father with dementia. I think. <laughs> yes. That was good. <laughs> Now this, okay, we finally found the way to play this game, I think, yeah. I don't so think I want to see, I, yeah. I don't think I enjoyed that movie. I didn't enjoy it. How many debilitating medical conditions do we have? Oh, yeah, well, we don't really know. So do we, well, do we count alcohol? Three. <laughs> We're counting. Okay, there's a heart condition in Minari. Yeah, so that's four. I mean, okay. and these are just the ones that we know of. We're right. not having seen it, yeah. Okay, what, what's Nomadland about? Did we enjoy that? Okay, so... All right, Matt, you, uh, Wilson, you have it. We're going to each put our theory out there, right? And you tell All right, us who's... give it to me. All right. Nomadland. It's basically the story of three generations of nomads. Like in medieval times or, or like... Well, it actually is time travel. So the first generation is medieval. Then we move to the Renaissance and then all the way up to today. So if this were the what 80s... Yeah. I would say Nomadland would be like a space movie or maybe like a medieval adventure, like swords and killing movie. Given this is 2021, I'm going to guess that Nomadland describes a depressing place that is common in modern life. So is it either like the dating scene or Idlib in Syria where it's like a, or, or like the, the, you know, sort of militarized uh extra national place where people are where immigrants are dying or not migrant migrants are dying or something like that uh neither it's neither uh, i'll give you a Shit, hint though. it's okay it's post it's post great recession post great Re homelessness is it homelessness yeah. i was gonna guess homelessness <sighs> before i swear i was when francis mcdormand loses everything and lives in a van yes. and travels around i swear i was gonna guess homelessness uh, that, i swear that's bad that i didn't get that okay there's like no plot but it was awesome oh you saw it yeah. oh wait but you saw it saw it or you useful idiots saw it uh i saw it oh, saw okay. it is that allowed should i not have yeah you really are not qualified I'm, to I'm not allowed to we're gonna have to Doc cut this out this yeah yeah <laughs> and it's a, so it, so you're saying it's about it's about People who lost everything after the crash and it just stuff just sucks after that. Doesn't necessarily suck. Hmm. I kind of after watching it, I want to go live in a van and go to these cool communities. Oh, so you're living in a van? Yeah. So are you homeless if you're living in a van? I guess I you're. So. They say they're home. houseless. 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 But it's not depressing. Not really. Okay. Well, that's we loved it then. <laughs> we we loved it. Yeah, it wasn't depressing. We thought it'd be depressing, but then actually wound up being really fun and funny. Look at that lineup of movies, though. I mean. Jesus. What do you think? Let's just publicly bet right now. How many debilitating diseases will be in next year's list? So we had three. four here, right? That we know of? Yeah, I think three. three. I think it's going to go lower. Yeah. I'll say it's a push. I'll say it's four. All right. Well, that was uh, a lot of stuff to so, get through. We have a great uh, discussion. We're going to, to talk to Dr. Cornell West. Well, Dr. Cornell West is a professor, philosopher, author, activist. He is a prominent and provocative democratic intellectual. He's written 20 books and has edited 13. He's best known for his classics Race Matters and Democracy Matters and for his memoir Brother West Living and Loving Out Loud. His most recent book, A Lack Prophetic Fire, offers an unflinching look at 19th and 20th century African-American leaders and their visionary legacies. Last time around when we interviewed him, we guessed all the people who uh 
whose names he would mention during the interview. So we're going to try try to do that again. I think we got a couple last time. Yeah, we definitely did. Yeah. All right. So we're each gonna we're each gonna name four. Sure. Yeah. All right. You want to go first? Sure. John Coltrane. Hmm. I was gonna do that. Okay. Go ahead. Prince. So, mm-hmm. Great one. But what if I cheat? I'm like, so tell us about Prince. Does yeah, that no, no, count? we can't do that. Okay. That doesn't count. All right, fine. John Coltrane, Prince, Bernie. You're going to ask him a Bernie question. You're, constant, yeah, you're right. constitutionally incapable either. of not asking I know, him I a know. Bernie question. I'm going to say he'll mention Bernie before I mention him. And Biden. Biden? Not that okay. exciting. I mean, those were kind of basic ones, but it's been a while. I'm going to go with Miles Davis, Frederick Douglass, uh, Cicero. Got to throw a German philosopher in there. That's good. Heidegger? Martin Heidegger? Sure. I'm going to throw in Fannie Lou Hamer also. Oh, right. There's always a Fannie Lou Hamer in there. And we, 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 we don't say this in a mean way. We, we say this in a fashion oh, yeah, way. Like, totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're both going to guess Fannie Lou Hamer. Maybe not Heidegger. Why about Bertolt Brecht? Not a philosopher, but a good German. Brecht? Okay. This will be really cut to us being like, so of all the German playwrights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. Dr. Evil. Uh, well, this will be great. Uh, let's let's talk to uh, Dr. Colonel West. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being the brave person, tireless person that you are. Um, wanted to start off by talking about what's happening in your life in terms of your uh, career, and you are on the move. You have stepped away from Harvard. Mazel tov. And you were going back to Union Theological Seminary. So can you tell people why that's happening? Well, you know, I've been blessed to be at a number of different places. I would never say that uh, my situation, plight or predicament is in any way equivalent to others. You got so many folk catching hell, both within the academy as well as on the ground all around the world. But even as one who's been highly blessed, you can still be disrespected, still be devalued, still be dismissed. And uh, once again, same thing 20 years ago, two decades later, uh, similar situation in some ways, heading back to New York City this time. Uh, uh, it's a ridiculous situation in terms of a committee recommending a, uh, a tenure process. And I was tenured at Yale 37 years ago, university professor at Harvard, which is only 21 out of 1,500, and then university professor at Princeton, 17 out of 1,300. And then the idea of just wondering whether you're worthy of tenure is such a sick joke that it's not even worth uh, talking about at a certain level, you know what I mean? But it reflects, you know, a lot of the spiritual and intellectual bankruptcy of, of the Harvards and other places that are so tied into now uh, big money, so tied into reputation, so tied into um, uh, the circulation of a certain sense of spectacle rather than serious substance and serious focus on teachers and, and teaching and focus especially on students. And so uh, it is what it is. You know, you just got to keep moving. Yeah. Much better city. You're going to be in a much better city. Well, that's true, too. Uh, well, <laughs> New York City, yeah, you got jazz clubs and uh, a lot of other places. And Union Seminary has always been my institutional home. There's no doubt about it. You had some some um, some tough words for them. You, there, I saw uh, an interview where you said, you know, Harvard has done actually done very well in terms of bringing in people, different peoples of different colors and gender at a high level into the administration. But it does not yet translate on the ground in terms of faculty. I, I get the was it a, a, a dispute about something that you, uh, you had said politically? I mean, what, what what's the nature of what was going on there? 
That's a good question because I, I never received an answer. You know, I'd asked the Harvard administration, why would you say that my tenure process would be so fraught and would be so controversial? I just want to know. Is it they think I'm, if I'm too old? Then, you know, that's plausible. But then I'm giving the Gifford Lecture, which is a, uh, you all know, it's almost like a Nobel Prize e equivalent in philosophy with John Dewey, William James, Alfred North Whitehead, Rhino Niebuhr, Martha Nussbaum. These are towering philosophical figures. I'll be delivering that, those, those lectures in Scotland. So they still think I have something to say as an older brother. You know what I mean? You <laughs> yeah. all still think I got You're something spring to chicken. say. I'm still Absolutely. on the show. Yeah. You know, I said, yeah. Yeah. So I figure it could be age. It could be age at all. Uh, it couldn't be academics because of, you know, if I got tenure with two books at Yale in 1984, you would think with 22 books later on, that wouldn't be controversial. Uh, so it had to be politics. I don't think it was my love and support of Brother Bernie either, though. The only issue that would make any sense to me is the issue that has been at the center of earlier professors who were denied promotion, which is the Palestinian cause. We've had three professors who have been denied uh, uh, tenure positions based on uh, that particular issue. And my hunch is as faculty advisor to the Palestinian students and as um, you know, associated with Jewish Current, which is of course oh, yeah. uh, one of the grand progressive uh, uh, institutions within the Jewish community that's highly critical of the Israeli occupation and so forth. But that's, that's the hypothesis that makes the most sense to me. Now I was viciously attacked by my dear brother Jonah Steinberg, you know, the, the rabbi there at, at Hillel and so forth. And so I got a chance to steal away with him. And uh, we had a wonderful dinner, two hour dinner, uh, when he was saying, I scared to talk. Cause he sent me an email that I'd never received. And so when I read it in the Crimson, I just called him up right away. We had a wonderful dinner and we agreed to disagree uh, in, this, in this regard. But um, I do think that it's an issue that we have to hit head on. And I I'm convinced that uh, 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 there's people in high places at Harvard and other uh, establishmentarian sites that don't want to have a robust, uninhibited, honest, co candid conversation about the suffering of Palestinians under occupation and the history of the very state of Israel itself in terms of ways in which not just as great democratic elements, and it does have democratic elements, I'd be the first to note, just like the United States has some, but there's also some, some, some barbaric elements in terms of uh, uh, ethnic cleansing and in terms of uh, um, uh, 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 apartheid-like conditions at the present and on the West Bank. And you have to be honest about that. And it seems to me it's going, we, we've got a long way to go to have a serious conversation about that issue. And of course, wherever I go, I'm not going to uh, stop talking about any form of oppression or domination. It could be Tibet, it could be Sub-Sahara, uh, 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 it could be Morocco's occupation, it could be India's occupation, it could be a whole host of other occupations. All of them are wrong, all of them are evil, all of them are I consider crimes against humanity. Yeah, and you you had a very strong, not surprisingly, letter of support from graduate students. A hundred signed on the letter, uh, condemning Harvard for not enthusiastically extending you tenure. Yeah, no, that's true. The support has been magnificent, and it's been across the board. It's black, white, Arab, Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, agnostics, Marxists, non-Marxists. 
know, uh, uh, latitudinarians, I mean, across the board, it's been a beautiful thing to witness. Uh, but the crucial thing is to view my particular case as, as, as a case on a continuum with other forms of not just degradation, not just uh, devaluation, but of domination in much thicker forms than myself. Have you heard from other professors who've, who've, um, who've had difficulties over that issue? I mean, obviously it's certainly not, uh, there've been other professors just at Harvard, as you mentioned, but. Mm. Yeah, no, and no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I in the past have, have supported a number of uh, brothers and sisters who not only uh, were in my situation, but in much worse situations, they were actually fired. They were actually pushed out. Uh, their reputations were were, were smeared uh, by uh, a number of uh, of people in a very wrong and, and ugly manner. Uh, so that the, it, 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 it's a tough one. I mean, the sad thing is there's a lot of professors at Harvard and other places who agree with me privately, but won't say a mumbling word publicly. Mm, right. Their silence itself becomes a form of complicity. And, it, and this includes, you know, friends and folk who don't know me that well. But it is what it is. You know, I mean, we human beings, most of us are not known for our courage. It's just not in high supply. That's true in the academy. I'm sure you all see it in journalism. We know it's true in, 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 in churches and mosques and synagogues and temples and, and so forth. And so if you really try to be forthright, you're not going to have a lot of people standing there with you. That's just, you know, that's just par for the course. You just keep moving. Well, certainly outspokenness is something you've never had a problem with, which is uh, <laughs> one, one of your most admirable qualities, for sure. <laughs> That's what's so wonderful about both of you all. You all the truth tellers out there. And does it make you sad? I know that you politically, like, you have a sense of what happened, right? And, and you are placing it potentially in this context of Israel criticism, which really, unfortunately, gets... Um, dismissed as anti-Semitism, which is totally unfair and totally, especially during this time of all times, always unfair. But now when really it is rearing its head again, you have actual anti-Semitism, actual, you know, neo-fascism to throw these accusations around lightly is just like an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Um, but do, do you also take it personally? How, how do you manage that? Uh, the kind of the broader political view and also just, oh, I've been not granted tenure by an institution. I mean, one is that I'll never allow anything to get in the way of my speaking and bearing witness uh, for any peoples who are victimized. So, for example, when you actually do have these ugly anti-Jewish forms of hatred and prejudice and attack and even murder, then you have to be right there on the front line. You got to be right there in the vanguard. And it has nothing to do with what other people think, but that's what's right. That's what's moral. You see, so they messing with the brothers and sisters in Pittsburgh. You've got to hit it head on. Messing with other, you got to hit it in France. You have to hit it head on and so forth. But when at the same time, you know, they put the charges against you because you are promoting the same principles as it relates to Palestinians. You say, wait a minute, you all, I'm just trying to be consistent. How come you are not as consistent as you ought to be? And that's where the challenge is made and it's a uh, um, it, it, it's one that 
anybody. I mean, you got, you know, towering figures, Noam Chomsky, Stanley Yaronowicz, we can go on and on and on, who's been wrestling with this for a long time within the Jewish community. Yeah. Even Brother Bernie was, was viciously attacked for that, you know, and I put pressure on Bernie because I thought he should have been even stronger in his critique of Israeli occupation and so forth. But, but he certainly has been a very important progressive voice in trying to make Israel more uh, uh, fair and just as it relates to Palestinian brothers and sisters. You were obviously very close to, to Bernie Sanders, uh, and he modeled a lot of his policies after FDR. He openly did so. Uh, and now, obviously, he's he lost the primary. Biden wins. And all we see in the news are these stories about how Biden is now the, the incarnation of, of FDR. As, as someone who was so close to Bernie, what, what's been your reaction to that? Well, you know, in 2016, it was clear that uh, the movement around our dear brother Bernie won the ideological war because everybody had to talk about what the young brothers and sisters were talking about in Occupy. They had to talk about wealth inequality, the kind of things you all have talked about all of these years, you see. They had to talk about health care for all and so forth. Jump to 2020, similarly so, similarly so. See, I'd always viewed Biden as a milquetoast neoliberal centrist who always checked to see what, which way the wind was blowing. Uh, he still got blood on his hands in terms of the four crimes against humanity, mass incarceration, invasion, and occupation of Iraq, the unleashing of Wall Street greed with the repeal of, of Glass-Steagall, and then the Israeli occupation that he's always been complicit with. I consider those four crimes against humanity, Biden, is associated with each one of them. And for the most part, has never apologized. So now all of a sudden, like LBJ, you say, ooh, Biden, relief bill, Biden, infrastructure bill, Biden talking about white supremacy, terrorism, Biden talking about Jim Crow, Biden, interesting, is it just his speech writers or is he actually undergoing an LBJ-like change and transformation? And I hope that it's the latter. I think that there's a good chance that it's the latter. I still remind him of how he used to be because people can change, you know, people do change, uh, like LBJ himself. But uh, uh, but that still, when it comes to Haiti, he still you know, he gets a D, D minus, if not an F, you know. When it comes to uh, 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 Latin America as a whole, when it comes to, you know, reigniting a cold war, with China and the Russia. Oh my gosh, that was it's a D. It's a D. F, F with China. Oh, you get me? I, oh yeah, F, China, D yeah. minus F. I, I try to be a slightly uh, more charitable grader, but I understand. No <laughs> I understand curve. This. So he's falling on his face, so that he's still very much, you know, head of an empire that's trying to uh, deal with its own deep decay and decline. Very much so. But domestically, but LBJ was a, a D minus or F on Vietnam. There's no doubt about that. Same, similarly so in, 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 in Dominican Republic in 65 and so many other instances when it came to U.S. foreign policy. So when you're looking at an empire, you know, you've got both the, imperial, the, the imperialism outside of its borders and then you've got the domestic issues inside. And it's the domestic issues, I think, that Biden is uh, moving in a, uh, a decent direction. We'll see how far he really goes. Last question. You mentioned your mother, and so wanted to offer my condolences, but uh, oh, also yeah. ask you to, to if you could share the um, 
share some of her lessons and legacy and, and anything you want to make sure that people know about her. Yeah, well, I appreciate, appreciate that though. Yeah, she was really a mom. But see, I'm just a little small footnote to mom though, because she was a, uh, a walking uh, exemplar of courage, of grace, of dignity, and most importantly, of, of love that she believed fundamentally as a Christian woman, as a black woman coming out of Jim Crow, Louisiana and ended up in Sacramento, that uh, to be human at its deepest level was to empty oneself and to use whatever gifts one had to try to empower, enable, and allow others to be the best that they could be. And that's a very, very beautiful way of being in the world. It really is. It's uh, it's what you know. Music at its deepest level is all about. You know, Beethoven is kenosis in the notes. James Brown is kenosis on the stage. He gives everything. Rembrandt is kenosis on the canvas. He's giving everything inside of him. You know, uh, Bruce Springsteen, the blues man on the white side of town. He gives everything with E Street Band. You know. Janis Joplin just give everything. We can go through Al Green and the dramatics and the temptations and Michael Jackson and Prince himself, who I knew so well. He could hardly walk after his performance. We, we carry him on my back. Say, Prince, you're pushing yourself. I said, but I cold train about to break vessels in his neck, drops his horn and pounds on his chest. That's Irene B. West. She gave everything, starting with Clifton, Cornell, Cynthia, Cheryl, Dad, and then her church, Shiloh Baptist Church, then her community. You know, there's an elementary school named after her now, Irene B. West Elementary School. Beautiful picture. Be strong and courageous. Give everything. That kenosis cuts all the way down. And for her, it comes right out of Hebrew scripture and a Palestinian Jew named Jesus who ran the money changes out of the temple and ended up on a cross in that Roman Empire thought that they had silenced that kind of love, but it just kept coming, oozing out anyway. And it oozed out so thickly that the Roman Empire had to try to incorporate that religion as its own religion, which it did. So most institutional Christianity has very little to do with that Jesus of Nazareth because he's too real, too strong, too much love, too much critique, too much courage, you see. But that's Irene B. West. She's tied to that Jesus. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to put her to rest in just a few days. Yeah. But thank you so much for no, Give course. me a chance to say something about mom, though. Nobody like. Did she teach you your politics, your ideas? Did you have a lot of political differences, similarities? I think she she is she's a Martin Luther King kind of sister. And she took us to see Martin when I was 10 years old. So it was very formative in that way. If she had a critique of me, which is really quite understandable, because I had much more gangster in me than she did. See, I, I'm much more street and gangster than she ever was. But she would say, you know, honey, sometimes your tone can be so harsh. She said, so I'm praying for you. I want you to say what you think the Lord wants you to say. So I don't want to shut you up. But I think 
sometimes your tone could be harsh. And I said, well, mom, I said, I, I think my tone needs to be harsher sometimes. <laughs> I think I'm just too, too, too soft certain times in terms of, uh, of, of, of saying fundamentally uh, what needs to be said in a critical way. So we had wonderful dialogues in that regard. But I'm just so much, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mama's boy in that sense of uh, being shaped by her sense of kenosis, and shaped by her sense of love and self-empty. There's no doubt about it. The night before she had this massive heart attack, we had a wonderful, wonderful talk. And she would, she would always say, now, I don't want you to be talking about being successful. I want you to be great in the eyes of our savior, Jesus Christ. And he would always say, he or she is greatest among you will be the servant, the love warrior, the freedom fighter. I said, mama, I'm trying, I'm trying to be true now. I'm trying to be true. Indeed, indeed. Maybe not every day of the week, but at least three, four days of the week, I'm being true. I'm trying to hold off with my gangster proclivities, but I know you're praying for me anyway. She said, yes, honey, that's exactly right. I love you no matter what. So in that sense, she definitely was proud. Definitely, but but her afterlife will go on uh, in, 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 in various ways, including it being at work in my own life, even as I continue to fall short. Thank you so much. Well, uh, Dr. West, thanks so much um, for, for taking the time. You're, you're an inspiration to, uh, to, to both of us. And uh, I know it's a difficult time for you and I really appreciate your taking a, a few minutes to talk to us. I salute yeah. both of you because you all got that light inside of you that shines. It's a beautiful thing. Thanks. Excellent. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Look at you. All you right. look lit up right now. So it must be <laughs> contagious. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right. Well, thanks, doctor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Indeed, indeed. That happened, and um, and we interviewed Cornel West, who was great. Great, amazing, yeah. And it's actually really nice of him to to take time. I mean, yeah, I, I, he's always very generous with us, and yeah, incredibly. Uh, so, uh, and he's fascinating. So, yeah, really fascinating. Uh, yeah. All right, so uh, thanks for for checking in, and um, don't yeah. do any of the bad things that we always tell you not to do. Yeah. Uh, none of those none of those reading, watching, listening habits that yeah. we always try to tell you to, to avoid. Yeah, and then, and then check in with us again next week. Check in with us, and you got we got some great um, Substack only content that you're going to get from this episode. To see the rest of that interview, make sure you go to usefulidiots.substack.com. We'll also be dropping a bonus interview we did with someone else. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.